the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. When Paul wants to give instruction to the wealthy, he never says that they should become poor. He just says, Timothy, remind them to be careful about falling into some sinful attitudes, conceitedness, stinginess. Share their wealth with others. Don't put their confidence in their wealth, but in God. And if God has blessed them with more than others, he has done that so that they might richly enjoy these things. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6.17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Do you see the healthy balance there of enjoying God's bounty, but not getting too attached to it? In fact, Paul told the Corinthians that God provides wealth so that the wealthy can be generous. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is taking us through a short study about the danger of loving money. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In the 19th chapter of his gospel account, Matthew told about a rich young man who thought he was following the law perfectly, but he wanted Jesus to tell him if there was something else he needed to do to obtain eternal life. Long story short, Jesus said, sure, just sell everything you have and give the proceeds to the poor and follow me. Well, the rich young man couldn't bring himself to do that. Jesus used that encounter as a teaching tool to show his disciples that no one can buy their way into heaven. If you can follow in your Bible, our text is Matthew 19, verses 23 through 30. Here's Pastor Steve now to continue the sermon he started in our previous broadcast. We need to come to grips with what the Bible says concerning the love of money. There are non-Christians who, just like this rich young ruler, would forfeit and do forfeit their soul for all of eternity because money and possessions have become their God, not willing to give them up for Christ. They live to acquire and enjoy the things of this world. They wouldn't think of giving them up for Christ. They wouldn't think of giving anything up for him, let alone all for him. And there are genuine Christians who know better They know what the Bible says about money and things, but they still hold material possessions too dear to their hearts. They've never learned to obey and honor God with their money. Their money has become too important to them, and they need to know that this leads to some serious problems, negative problems with their spiritual lives. Now, as the passage unfolds, we see Jesus teaching his disciples that loving money and wealth can lead to two specific problems. One problem has specific application for the non-Christian. The other problem has specific application for the Christian. This morning, we're going to look at the first problem that has specific application for the non-Christian. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the one that deals with Christians. 
Now, according to Jesus, the first problem that loving money leads to is this. It leads to the fact that it deprives an individual of salvation. It deprives an individual of salvation. We begin by looking at verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. After watching the rich young ruler depart from him, Jesus said these words to his disciples. This was an immediate follow-up. However, according to Mark's gospel, before saying even a word, Jesus, we returned to his disciples and gave them a deliberate, sweeping look. He must have been looking at the man walk away down the road, and he turned back and looked at his disciples. Why? Because he knew that they didn't understand what was going on. He knew that that they needed an explanation as to why this promising, wealthy convert who could have financed a lot for them, why he had just rejected the message of salvation. So before they could ask him any questions, he looks at them and he says, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus has put into words what this young ruler just illustrated by walking away from him. He said, it's hard for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what did our Lord mean by this? Was he saying that wealth and salvation never go together, that no rich person can ever be saved, and if you are wealthy and you you do accept Christ as your Savior, then you should become destitute and poor? Now, there are some people who believe that. There are some Christians who believe that Jesus was saying this. They believe that it is always wrong for a Christian to have an abundance of things. They believe that all Christians should become poor by giving away everything that's beyond the essentials, especially, some would say, to missionaries. And if a Christian is not poor, folks who hold to this look upon them those who have an abundance of materials, goods, with suspicion. It's being carnally minded, worldly, unspiritual. How can you be a godly man and have so much? But listen, it's not possible that Jesus meant that that all wealthy people should denounce their money before coming to faith in Christ or after coming to faith in Christ. I say that because the Bible never condemns wealth only loving it. Never condemns wealth, nor does it teach that wealth and riches are incompatible with believing in Jesus. I remind you that Abraham, who is presented in Scripture as the model of biblical faith, was a very wealthy man, as was his son Isaac, and as was his grandson Jacob. Old Testament Bible characters such as Job, David, Solomon, were all extremely wealthy. In the New Testament, we read of a very rich disciple, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, who lovingly took care of Christ's dead body and placed it in his own tomb. And then we have the story in the book of Acts of Barnabas, an early church leader who was a wealthy landowner. I would also add to that that in the New Testament letters, we have specific teaching By the Apostle Paul on this very issue, we read, for example, of Paul writing to Timothy, 
to give instruction to those who are wealthy. And let's, let's look at that. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17. Notice precisely what Paul says. It may surprise some of you to see what Paul tells Timothy. 1 Timothy 6 17. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us, notice this, with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now, this is very interesting. When Paul wants to give instruction to the wealthy, he never says that they should become poor. He just says, Timothy, remind them to be careful about falling into some sinful attitudes, conceitedness, stinginess. Share their wealth with others. Don't put their confidence in their wealth, but in God. And if God has blessed them with more than others, he has done that so that they might richly enjoy these things. We also have, in addition, Paul giving a very important statement to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 14, that folks, I think this explains why God has blessed some of us with more money than others. In case you are wondering about that, at least there's some explanation here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 14, Paul writes, and this is in the context of the Corinthians being exhorted to be generous in helping poor Christians, the poor Christians at the church at Jerusalem who were really hurting. He says in verse 14, at this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need that there may be equality. Now, what is Paul saying? He's saying that God has blessed some of you now more than others for the very purpose of sharing out of your abundance with those Christians who are hurting because there's coming a time where they may have more than you and they will then be mindful to share with you. Why does God bless some of us more than others? Enjoy what we have, but don't be stingy. Don't hoard it upon yourself. God's plan to meet the needs of his people is often through his people, who some he has blessed generously for them to learn to be generous with others. Listen, folks, the truth of the matter is that if Jesus was teaching that abundance of riches barred anyone from entering heaven, then none of us in this room could be saved. None of us. Because compared to the rest of the world, almost every American is wealthy and prosperous. You just have to travel around the world and see how they respond to us. So in saying that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom, Jesus could not have meant that those who enter must first become poor or at least renounce all their wealth once they become his followers. But there are others who come along and say, no, that's not what he's saying. What he was talking about is that he meant that it was hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom in the sense that most wealthy people have no interest in spiritual things because their wealth tends to make them very comfortable, very satisfied, and secure in this life, so they don't see a need for Christ. They say, that's what he meant. In other words, it's hard for a wealthy person to think about God's kingdom and spiritual realities because they have so much now. They're so comfortable. They're not thinking about the next world. 
you know what? There is a great amount of truth in that. that. That is true. I don't believe that's what Jesus meant by this, but that is true. There are many wealthy people who are so secure in their riches that they don't have any concern for their soul. They've never thought about their soul. They never thought about their need for salvation because they don't want to be saved from this life. They don't want to be saved from what they have. They like having everything, and they're just going to enjoy it. They're going to eat, drink, and enjoy life. And so it is very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom because he tends to be too caught up in the material enjoyments of this world to see his need for the kingdom of God. And of course, there are some people who have not been blessed with a great deal of money, but they would like to be. And so they make it a point of pursuing it, of worrying about it, of conniving to try to get it, thinking that this will bring them joy and satisfaction in their lives, and they are deceived into thinking the gospel isn't relevant for them. It's not important for their lives. All they live for is today. That's why Jesus said in the parable of the sower, the sower who went out and threw some seed on the ground, that the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for things enter in and they choke the word. Someone witnessed to this person, they started thinking about it, but eventually they didn't have time to consider the claims of the gospel because riches had deceived them into thinking that's what they had to pursue. Worrying about all the things going on economically, that was where their minds focused on and not the word. However, as valid as that is, that people tend to worry about money and become too comfortable with it for the gospel, for an interest in the gospel. They have surplus of money. There are unique challenges and difficulties in seeing their need for Christ and salvation. As important as that is, as true as that is, I don't believe that this is what Jesus meant by saying it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why do I say that? Because Jesus went on in the very next verse to clarify for us what he meant by this. Verse 24, again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now with these words, the Lord actually explains what he means by it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. He doesn't mean that it's tough, but possible. He doesn't mean that it's challenging, but attainable. Folks, he means that it is impossible. Can't be done. It is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, just that it is impossible for one of these large camels to pass through the eye of a small sewing needle. So it is impossible, Jesus said, for a rich man to enter the kingdom. See, in Christ's time, there was a well-known Persian expression used by the people of that day when they wanted to say something was impossible. They spoke of the impossibility of putting an elephant, something that was quite common in Persia, through the eye of a sewing needle. Now, since there are no elephants in Israel, unless they're imported in for a circus or something, Certainly in our Lord's day, there were no elephants in Israel. And camels were the largest 
animals in the land, Jesus simply substituted a camel for an elephant to declare the impossibility of putting one of these huge humpback beasts through the tiny opening of a common sewing needle's eye. It's just a ridiculous mental image. It's an absurd statement spoken by our Lord in order to convey the absolute impossibility of something like this ever happening. And the reason he spoke in such absurd language was to make a point, to drive home a point with his disciples that as impossible as it was physically for a camel to ever pass through the hole of a needle's eye, so it is just as impossible for a wealthy man to spiritually enter into the kingdom of God. Now, let me caution you about something. There are some who have read this and say, it can't mean what it appears to mean. So we have to tone down Christ's words because his words sound so inflexible, so strict, so unbending. It can't possibly be impossible. Or who can be saved? It's impossible. And so what they do, they tone this down by changing the meaning of something. There are some people who won't accept these words at face value. And so what they've come up with is this interpretation. When I was in Israel one time, someone on our tour group even mentioned this. If you do a Google search online, you will see that this is a common interpretation. They would say that the expression, the eye of a needle, it's not a literal sewing needle. It was a gate, they say. In the ancient wall of Jerusalem, every city in ancient times had a wall around it to protect it. To go into the city, you had to go through a gate in the wall. And they say there was one of those gates, very tiny gate, a small gate called the eye of the needle. Therefore, they tell us, for a camel to have entered into into the city of Jerusalem, they had to go through this small gate And for a camel, this huge animal, if you've ever seen a camel, they are huge and not particularly attractive. And don't get too close to them because they can spit at you. Just want you to know that if you ever come face to face with a camel. But so they would tell us that for one of these camels to enter through this gate, their baggage had to be unloaded so they could crawl on their knees through this tiny opening. Likewise, they say, as the analogy goes, a rich man must do the very difficult task of unloading the baggage of his sin, and then he has to humble himself by getting on his knees and then entering the narrow gate of God's kingdom. Now, there is truth to that. No one can be saved apart from humbling themselves and and repenting of their sin, but there is a serious flaw with this view. Two serious flaws. Number one, there is no historical evidence, nor is there any archaeological evidence anywhere that there has ever been a gate called the Eye of the Needle in the ancient city of Jerusalem. It's never been found. Nobody knows it. It's been excavated. They've gone all around the wall. There is no gate that's ever been called the Eye of a Needle. And besides, if there was a gate, and perhaps they might find a gate tomorrow, That's still not a problem, and still this view is not valid, because even if there was such a small gate like this, it doesn't make any sense for a man to force his camel to go through all the trouble of passing through this small opening when he could just as easily take him a few yards to the left 
or the right and have them go through a larger doorway without any problem. It just doesn't make any sense. Why would you put that camel through so much? It's not the only entrance into a city. Now, beyond these two issues, the primary problem with this view is that it completely misses the point of our Lord's words. It is an attempt to bypass the strong language that Jesus intentionally gave to make a point. Jesus wasn't teaching how hard but possible it was for a wealthy man to be saved. He was teaching that it was absolutely impossible for a rich man to be saved. Well, now that I have confused all of you and you're wondering, where is he going with this? Let's consider what Jesus did mean by these words. Why did he say that it wasn't possible for a rich man to enter heaven? Well, the answer lies in understanding the thinking of the wealthy Jewish men of his day. You see, the wealthy people of that era thought that salvation could be purchased by doing charitable deeds. It was commonly believed by virtually all Jewish people that money was a sign of God's blessing and approval, and that the more money a person had, the more he could give it away. Now, he wouldn't give all of it away, but some of it he would give to the poor. And the more he gave his money to the poor, the better chance he had of gaining merit with God to enter heaven. In other words, rich people, it was commonly believed, were the most likely people to earn their way into heaven because they could give the most money to please God and gain his favor. It was salvation by purchasing it. This was really no different than what incensed Martin Luther about the selling of indulgences. In fact, the Talmud, which is a collection of Jewish sacred writings, actually states that almsgiving, which is giving charitably to the poor, is equal to keeping the law of Moses, and the rabbi said this will bring deliverance from condemnation and make one perfectly righteous. That's what the rabbis taught. That's what the people believed, including our Lord's Jewish disciples. They bought into that. Rich people, they thought, were the best candidates to enter the kingdom because the giving of their money gave them the best chance of impressing God. But Jesus shot that view right out of the water. He shot it right out of the water. He just said in one fell swoop the complete opposite of the common thinking of that day. He just said there was no way that a wealthy man trusting in his own efforts and charitable giving could enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he just denounced salvation by works of almsgiving, as well as any other kind of good deeds done to merit favor with God. That's what Jesus just said. Now, keep in mind, the context of Christ's teaching here is that Jesus has just told the rich young ruler to give not some of his money, but all of it away. For whom? For the poor. Not because this would save him, but because he needed to repent of the idolatry of money. But the man wasn't willing to do this However, in all likeliness, though the text doesn't explicitly state this, the rich young ruler probably, like like all wealthy people, did give some of his money to the poor and felt, apparently, that, that this would give him some merit before God, but to give all of it away, no, he wasn't going to do that. And apparently, that's exactly what the Lord's disciples are thinking because they are absolutely blown away by Christ's words of the utter impossibility 
of a rich man being saved. Notice how they respond to his words. They understood what he was saying. And it wasn't hard but possible. They got the message. Notice verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished. It means they were flabbergasted. And they said, then who can be saved? That's the problem, isn't it? The only way those disciples and the rest of the world, then and now, could conceive of for gaining admission to heaven was to somehow earn it or buy it. And even if every person ever born pooled all of our resources, we couldn't come up with a ticket price for even one admission. We are doomed. Except for one little phrase in the Bible that makes all the difference, right? It says, but God. Thanks for listening today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to know more about Lakeside, visit lakesidechapel.com or call the office for service times and directions. The number is 727-441-1714. If you'd like to help support Verse by Verse, you can give by phone at the number I just gave, 727-441-1714, or you can use the giving page at versebyverseradio.org. We thank you for your generous giving that helps us stay on the air. Hey, while you're at the website, please click on over to the Message Archive page where we have hundreds of previous programs available for you to stream or download free of charge. That's at versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. Could God get a camel through the eye of a needle? Hey, he could if he wanted to, but I think he'd rather get people into heaven. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.